Am I ready? Hey folks, Guitar Wank. I know you know you noticed that Troy is not here right now. Well, actually, he got arrested. We had to bail him out. And uh, they wouldn't take Australian dollars. And it was kind of messy down there. And then he fell in love with his cellmate. So he and Leroy are going to do real well together, I predict. So anyways, we got Guitar Wank. This is going to be a special edition of stuff that I recorded when I was in Nashville for, at the Chet Atkins Appreciation Society. Uh, we have George Groon of Groon's Guitars. I m- met with him in his office amidst his snake collection. And then Tim Thompson, a great fingerstyle guitar player. I hope you enjoy these interviews. I want to let you know that this weekend coming up is the Rocky Mountain Archtop Festival. It's going to be an exciting time. I think uh, there's plenty of room for all of you to still come if you haven't decided yet. It's in Arvada, California, right at, I mean, Colorado, right, or to go to Arvada, wherever, and Arvada.com. And then you come by and hang. There's lots of great guitar makers showing off their guitars. There's going to be workshops, demonstrations, jam sessions, concerts, and a lot of fun being had. There'll be a lot of great players there. Corey Christensen, Jimmy Bruno, Bobby Broom, and casts of others. Look for it on Facebook. Rocky Mountain Archtop Festival. You really want to come. And then big news also on Guitar Wank because we are going to finally give away that amp that Pat Quilter gave us. Signed by Pat Quilter. We've got wire roll cables. And it's all the drawing is going to be on next week's podcast. So, how do you enter, you ask? That is by having a Patreon account. And if you've already got one, maybe consider getting one for your dog or your wife. Because having more accounts will make you a better shot at getting these wonderful prizes. And we really appreciate all of you who are giving us money at Patreon. Because, like I say, we're going to have to eventually bail Troy and Leroy out. And the wedding is going to be expensive. So, without further hindrance or blabbering, I present to you this week's exciting, riveting episode of Guitar Wang.
talk. I'm lucky to be sitting right here with George Groon at Groon's Guitars in the Inner Sanctum. I just played some amazing instruments. And George, what can I tell you? I am so honored and pleased to be in your presence and to finally get a chance to visit this hallowed place. Welcome to Guitar Lake. Thank you. And I guess I can say welcome to my padded playpen because in many ways that's sort of what this place is for me. This is the hobby that got out of hand and we'll have our 50th anniversary coming up in January. And I'm now chairman and CEO while my stepson Eric is company president and general manager. That means that while I can come in six days a week and I may start answering emails at five in the morning and keep going till 10 p.m., I still only do what I feel like doing. <laughs> But there's enough to keep me busy that long doing what I want to do. So I get to concentrate on the fun stuff. Yeah. But it is essentially a hobby that got out of hand. My academic background is all in zoology, undergraduate work, University of Chicago in ethology, animal behavior studies, and graduate work in zoology at Duke, after which I decided I'd really rather have a music store. But... I still use a lot of those basic skills of a zoological taxonomist every day when I'm looking at instruments. And I use the basic skills of my father's profession, pathologist, looking at individual instruments to figure out what's happened to this one. So not only do I have to identify what is it, but then I have to figure out what is its life history and essentially just like a forensic pathologist may look at a body and figure out that the body can tell them a lot of stuff on careful examination. Well, careful examination of the instruments also can tell me a lot. Sometimes we can get documentation from a company like Martin or Gibson. You give them a serial number and see if they can look it up in their ledgers. But a lot of times there's not the most good paper trail that you might like. And if you go by what the seller is telling you, well, some of the sellers are ignorant and some of them are not completely honest. Even devious, I would imagine, at times. It it has been known to happen. (laughs) So that we, like Ronnie, trust but verify. And uh, so we find all too many times when they swear that great-granddaddy got this guitar from Jimmy Rogers who pawned it Well, Jimmy Rogers didn't need to pawn guitars, and Mm. if the guitar was made in 1950, when he died in the early 30s, that doesn't work. No, no, that would be a challenging thing to authenticate. Indeed it would. But uh, at any rate, uh, I'll stop babbling, but you ask another question. No, that's really, it's really interesting. I'm just, of course... You, you've got such a wide variety of instruments here, and they all, like you say, have such great history, at least the ones that I played up on here in the Inner Sanctum. And is there, just like th- thinking about some times where you ran into an instrument, like you felt like, I found it. It was like one you were either looking for or one that just fell out that you couldn't believe that came across the decks here. Some, some of those kind of moments. There's been some amazing instruments that have come through. And um, it's unpredictable on a daily basis what we're going to see. 
in some ways I'm living in a reality show. But most of the reality shows that you see on TV have one thing in common, and that is they ain't real. <laughs> They've been staged. Mm-hmm. Uh, pawn stars, whatever, that's not, that's not random walk-in. Right. They, they check around and have done their research before anything's ever filmed, or that American uh, the pickers, when they call me periodically, uh, they've been sometimes weeks in advance lined up what they're going to show that week and who they're going to visit and they've already sent photos around to see what's what it's not just a random Mm -hmm. newly seeing them when they tape it Uh, but at any rate we find all sorts of things like upstairs in repair we have a 1836 martin that we've just finished restoration uh, we have, we're working on an 1842 Martin wow. up there, and some really interesting pieces. We have uh, even in the office here. I've got three lore signed F5 mandolins. I have a uh, 1923 and two 1924 models here in the office right now, and those are pretty much the holy grail yeah. of mandolins. Um, just. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we sold a 1940 D45 Mart, and downstairs on display, we've got Mission Control, the most famous of the bases that Phil Lesh played with the Grateful Dead, and that's one that I found from a random email that was sent asking, would we be interested in this thing? And it was disassembled, and it needed restoration, and... Uh, it was worth checking because it turned out that it was the most important electric bass used by the dead. Mm-hmm. So um, that's uh, that may be pr- profitability was the one of the best investments I ever made in an instrument. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, times have changed a lot because when I opened up the store in January 1970, a 30-year-old guitar it was 1940. Today, a 30-year-old guitar is 1989, and that's not vintage at all. The term vintage is almost obsolete in a way because there's no particular age that an instrument has to to be good, to be interesting or collectible. For example, Jimmy DeQuista died in 1995. and Some of his greatest instruments were made right before he died. Mm -hmm. For an individual luthier, his best work is likely to be his newest. He's got more years of experience. For a company like Martin, some of their best work might have been made quite a few years ago. Martin had been in business for 100 years in 1933. And the people who made them at the start and the people who made them in 1933 have one thing in common. Either way, they'd be dead now. Now, if Martin is making, I think, some of the best guitars they've made in the past 70 years right now. They're not better than what they made in 1937, but that was more than 70 years ago. Mm-hmm. Some of their best steel string guitars for their true golden era would be late 1920s, about 1928 through late 1938 would be their absolute most sought after. But the fact is, that's only a 10-year period. You could expand it a bit, say, you know, maybe 1927 or 28, up through 1942. But after 42, 
things were going downhill. And the stuff they made in the 70s and in the 80s were not nearly as good as what they make right now. They're making some very good guitars now. I can show you new Martins that I'm quite proud of that are custom shop that are made to my specs, but Eric, my specs without their wood and their workmanship still would not be great. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to make a great instrument, first and foremost, you have to have great design. If you have a great design with poor workmanship and poor materials, you can defeat the great design. But if you have great workmanship and great materials with a poor design, that's not good. Right. You can have, if you're, you can be on an airplane 40,000 feet up in the air, and you can have wonderful titanium construction, the finest gold-plated fixtures, and terrific workmanship, and if, if it's a bad aerodynamic design, you ain't gonna make it home. Right. You'll die. So, great design is first and foremost. If you have great design coupled with structurally solid workmanship where it's not gonna fall apart, it doesn't have to be pretty cosmetically, but it's, it might have glue seeming, oozing a bit, but you know, it's solid, it's not gonna fall apart. You got a great design and you have mediocre, but materials that will not fail, they're not pretty, they're not the best materials, but they're, they're solid, they'll function. That's gonna sound better than fabulous material and fabulous workmanship with a mediocre design. Uh, it's sort of like in military weaponry. You know, if you have two armies opposing each other and each side has rifles, but one side has cheaply made rifles with plastic stocks and mediocre metal, but it's not going to fail during the battle. And the workmanship is sloppy, but it's not going to fail during the battle. It won't jam and it won't fall apart. It might only be good for four years, but you know, wars generally don't last longer than that, or certainly battles don't. Well, the side of the AK-47s is going to beat the side that has lovingly handcrafted flintlocks that took a year and a half each to make and has inlay and carving and engraving and everything mm -hmm. going for it, except that it's a bad design by modern standards. It won't do what the other can do. Right. And uh, you just look at things like the pre-World War II flathead master tone banjo. It's got a Zymac flange. Uh, alloy with zinc and it's the flange is cheaply made and frankly it would be better if it were brass but they didn't do that but it it worked the design works and they are the best sounding banjos for bluegrass music ever made and uh, so it's nice if they just have everything perfect and pre-world war ii martins they damn near did have everything perfect although even there they don't have an adjustable truss rod. So getting the action down and keeping it stable just for the playability that some guys want where they want it to have strings damn near feeling like they're inlaid into the fingerboard, uh, they don't do that. And the intonation on some of those is not as good as what they're doing right now. Uh, but the new Martins are at least the custom shop models I designed. I can't complain about the design if I design it. Um, but you know, I can only design within the parameters that they're willing to do, so I can... But even there, they've gone as far as, like, making 12-fret quadruplos where they had to make a complete new body form to fill my order. So they've, they've bent over to help me a bit. 
Uh, and they're doing some great work. Well, I can say that I played that 12-string you had last night, and that was exceptional. That was a, well, I have others you could play that are that, very good guitars. Yeah. Uh, not just 12-string. Uh, um, Martin's, and their standard production line is better than it's been in a long time. Even the new HD28, just in the past year, has been upgraded and is a much better guitar now than the HD28s that were made. They introduced that model in 76, and you can play the brand new one next to a 1976, and the new one's better by quite a bit. Wow. So Martin has put some real effort into refining and improving their design and their workmanship. Um, they've responded to companies like Santa Cruz and Taylor and Collings. It used to be Collings' basic line for selling a guitar might be buy a Collings. We know that you all really like old Martins, but you know they don't make those old style anymore, but we make things that look like the old Martins. We can't put the name Martin on them, but you know they didn't trademark their peghead shape, their body shape, their pickguard shape, their ridge shape, their inlay patterns, their bracing pattern. You know, we, we can copy every bit of that, yeah. but we just can't put the name Martin on it. Well, now the fact is Martin has responded to a lot of that and they're making guitars that I think hold their own very nicely against Collings and Santa Cruz and in fact I like them better but that's personal preference perhaps but objectively they sound very very good and we've been selling them to a lot of extremely fine players even Vince Gill is using synchro mahogany guitars on stage with the Eagles mm -hmm. And they're worth listening to. But the fact is, Martin's doing a good job. But where I was talking about what is the definition of vintage, well, you know, for Gibson mandolins, the best period for F5s was in the 1920s. From the lower period, starting in 22, on up through the 20s, the F5 mandolins, that was the best of them. Well, there's still some real good ones into the 30s. But... Uh, the Gibson mandolins of the 50s and 60s and 70s were lousy. Uh, and right now they're making so few mandolins it hardly counts <laughs> Gibson. But um, for Martin guitars, steel string, I had already said that about 1928 through about 1938 is the absolute best. You could extend it up to 42, but that's still that period 28 through late 38 when they were doing forward shifted scallop racing. That's the best Martin steel strings ever. Mm -hmm. For nylon or for gut string Martins uh, earlier. Some of the finest there were made during the lifetime of CF Senior. So you're going back like pre-1867. Uh, but they still made marvelous sounding gut string guitars in the 20s that were truly designed for gut and sound great. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not modern classicals, but they're very good guitars. Yeah. Like that's what Vince Gill's playing. He had a Ramirez classical, and I showed him a 1922 0042 designed for gut, and immediately he gravitated to that, likes it a whole lot better than playing the Ramirez for the way he plays, because he's playing a what he calls a gut string guitar, but it's nylon, but the point is he's, he's not playing classical on it, he's playing his own music, but right. it sounds wonderful, mm -hmm. and it's a very, very good guitar. But 
Yeah, De Quisto, his best ones were right before he died. Yeah. Angelico, some of his best ones were late. Yeah, it's just like, would you rather have a Stradivari violin made when he was a 16-year-old apprentice or when he was 75 years old and really had his chops down? Yeah. He lived to be 94 years old. He made violins into his 93rd year. The ones he made at age 93 show a little sign of shaky, but they sound wonderful, and they, they're just the workmanship. is just not quite as neat and clean as when he was 75. <laughs> but um, the point is... It was still a lot better than what he made when he was 16. West call the front desk, please. West call the front desk. any individual builder, his best one may well be his newest, but for a company like Martin that's been around since 1833 or Gibson that's been around since 1902, you know, some of their best electrics were the 50s. Their best banjos were the 30s. Their best mandolins were the 20s. And some of their best flat-top guitars were in the 30s. But it's not that there's a specific age. It's the same ones that were golden-era pieces in 1970 that still are today, mm-hmm. except they're now 49 years older than they were when I opened. Right. So, you know, when I opened up, a 30-year-old guitar is 1940. That could be a D45. That could be a valuable piece for sure. And I, you know, in 1960, Sunburst Les Paul was 10 years old when I opened up my store, and a Broadcaster Fender was 20 years old. Actually, it wasn't even 20 yet, because I opened in January, and broadcasters weren't made in January of 50 yet. So age does not automatically qualify it as being vintage. We knew darn well a broadcaster was a vintage guitar when I opened up my store. We knew darn well in 1968 that a Sunburst Les Paul from 59 was a vintage, very desirable guitar. Mike Bloomfield sounded way, way, way different on that than he did on a new one. And there were already people well aware that the guitars of the 1950s were the best electric guitars ever and that the new guitars in 1967 or 68 were nowhere near as good as the pre-CBS Fenders or the Gibson Electrics made when McCarty was there. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, what other questions? Well, that, it's just so fascinating. I mean, your passion for it and your knowledge, of course. Obviously, the internet has really changed the game for you, I would imagine. To a Not certain necessarily point. for the better. Uh, some things are a lot easier, and some things are far, far, far more bloodthirsty competitive now than they used to be. Yeah. And there's also chat rooms where people who don't know anything still feel that they can voice their opinion and criticize. It really kind of galls me if I have something that I've just listed and I have chat rooms discussing whether it has a crack in the top. They could just call me up and ask, but they'll speculate from the photos, oh, it has a crack. Well, no, it might have been a dark grain line. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or they'll discuss whether the price is fair or not. Uh, they, they, they just get into all sorts of things that, uh, you know, if you really want to find out, you could send somebody over to actually look at it. Or you, or you could just call me and ask. Hey, George, does it have a crack at the top, that line there in the neck? Is that a crack or is that a grain line? And I all too often, okay, there are dark streaks in species of maple or spruce. Some of them in a photo might look a bit like a crack, but 
If it has a crack, we'll tell you. If it has a crack, it probably says so in the description. Mm. But um, anyway, the internet can make life more difficult. It also means that everybody seems to think everything is an auction. And they think whatever price that you're asking, that's, that's your starting point. They expect you to come down. Well, mm -hmm. If you actually ask what you mean, they don't seem to understand that concept. Um, also, if it's been there for sale for more than two weeks, they think it's tainted. All they want to see is what's your latest issue, what's your latest listing. And if it's been there too long, then it's poisoned. Uh, which some good instruments take time. They just take till the right customer comes along who's actually a qualified and interested buyer. Mm -hmm. But whether I like it or not, things are a double-edged sword. It used to be, when I, in the old days, I was one of three in the country that had a monthly inventory list. That was expensive to put together, time-consuming and expensive, and then expensive to print it and expensive to mail it first-class mail. You couldn't reach near as many people as you could with the internet. Except now every 13-year-old with a modem can do it too. So you don't have to have a big inventory, like a thousand instruments to make it worthwhile doing. It used to be, I had a lot of instruments and it was, it was profitable to do a list, but I was one of three that did it. Mandolin Brothers, me, and elderly. Well, now a mailing list is a waste of time. You just put it online. Right. And if you don't have a bunch of instruments, it doesn't matter. You can do a website cheaply. And if you have only one, you can put it on eBay or Reverb or whatever. But a lot of the descriptions on eBay and on Reverb are not accurate. And, but it still has become much more bloodthirsty competitive. And uh, in some areas, I choose not to participate or it has been said you can wrestle in the mud with a pig and you will both get dirty, but the pig will like it. <laughs> some things I just won't stoop to doing. Yeah. And I will not put my instruments on either Reverb or eBay or any other internet auction. Uh, we will have them on our own website. And when we describe one as excellent, we mean it really is excellent. And we do take everything that needs setup work, and we have 10 people upstairs in repair, 6,000 square feet of repair shop. And when we're selling it, it's fully playable and set up right, unless mm. otherwise clearly stated. Yeah. So. Well, just want to thank you for your commitment to, you know, something I'm so passionate about. I like, you know, the playing them and the history of them and the sound of them and your. Uh, just uh, inspiration. I just well, want to thank you. it's a hobby that got out of hand. <laughs> if it wasn't fun, I wouldn't be doing it anymore. Yeah, well, I could say the same about myself. <laughs> so I'm here because I like it. And uh, on the other hand, with 6,000 square feet per floor, 18,000 square feet, 47 parking places out front, 25 employees, you can do a little bit of simple math and realize that I'm giving these people good health insurance, good, good benefits packages, and I have to sell a lot of guitars to yeah. fuel this monster. So, yes, I like it, but we still have to be pretty good on business in order to continue to do this because it's not the kind of thing I can just simply 
do at home right. and do it on the same level or have as much fun. So it does require good business management, and I do have a good team. I am much stronger with a team than simply on my own. I don't have to know everything. I know a lot, but I've never claimed to be omniscient. When I do become that, I'll let everyone know promptly. <laughs> but it hasn't happened yet. It pisses me off that it hasn't, but it just isn't you know, happening. You know, it's like the more you know, the more you know you don't know. That is correct. There's a tremendous amount that I do not yet know, and every day I'm still learning. So I think I'm getting better when I get really good enough, then I'll be so old I won't be too decrepit to do it. But I'm not that way yet. I'll be well, here's to next month. tons of health and happiness and success to you. And thank you for being so gracious with your time. I know everybody in town here is, wants a piece of you. So well, thank you for Uncle being Otto generous. Lived to be 105, and he didn't retire. But his sister Emma only made it to 102. So there's limits to what I'm going to likely be able to do. But I'm not planning on retiring anytime soon. Good. Well, I'll be back to see you, okay? Okay. All right, George, thank you. Thank you so much.
Okay, this is it. This is my first remote broadcast for Guitar Wank at the Cash Show in Nashville in, in uh, Guitar Wank Studios, 4091 we call it. It's, it's rather uh, posh, really, yeah. for, compared to our normal studios. Yeah. Of course, it's early in the morning, so we're not going to be drinking. I, I would like to, well, then again, maybe we will, especially once Tim has to hang out with me for a little while, probably will drive him to drinking. <laughs> I am really fortunate to bring to you guys uh, Tim Thompson, somebody who I knew about but never had gotten here till last night at the show. He played with his son, Miles, and it was uh, extraordinary. It was really great. So welcome to being our first, uh, well, I guess you're the guinea pig, sort yeah, of, well, you know what I mean? Thank you. And welcome welcome to Guitar Wank, and, and tell us a little bit about you, because damn, I should have known a lot more. I'm... I'm remiss in my well, education well thank you welcome to nashville by the way <laughs> thank so, you yeah i know you've been here before but it's a, like you said it's been a while it so. was yeah back yeah. before the turn of the century yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so uh yeah well, i moved to nashville uh, uh i don't know how far back you want to go i mean i started when i uh, there's seven kids in our family seven you know siblings uh, two brothers i have two brothers and four sisters and everybody was into music played you know the three boys we all played professionally and um so, uh, but yeah, so, so when I was growing up, my, my oldest brother's nine years older than me, so he used to, for birthdays and Christmas, and, you know, I'd get, like, you know, George Benson Records and Joe Pass and Pat Martinez. So when I was, like, 10 years old, I was listening to those And you're guys. from Nashville. 
No, actually, I'm from, uh, I was born in New York, uh, Niagara Falls. Oh, okay. Actually, people from upstate New York will know where Lockport is. That's uh, actually where I was born. It's like 15 or 20 minutes from Niagara Falls. So uh-huh. I, I lived there till I was four, and then we ended up in northern Minnesota. Oh, okay. Yeah, but the Canadian, not, not just about an hour from the border. So, uh-huh. and uh, so, but there's in that area, it's like the Iron Range. There's tons of clubs to play at because there's just a lot of drinking. And you uh-huh. know, like in my hometown, five thousand people. The main street, I think, at, at when I was in high school, there were like twenty-two bars, <laughs> you know, within a three-block range. So, Ooh, my kind of place. Yeah, so a lot, a lot of, lot of, lot of places to play. And so, really, I mean, I worked a lot as a as a musician in high school, you know. So, but uh, and then I uh, got to go see. Oh, I saw some great concerts. You know, I used to go down to Minneapolis where my brother was living, and you know, we went to see the Mahavishnu Orchestra in. Uh, you know, at the Orphan Theater, <coughs> and this is going to date me, but it's it's like when between Nothingness and Eternity, the live album. Oh yeah, it was that tour. Great. Oh yeah, but I was like, I I think I was I don't know, four, twelve or thirteen or fourteen, something. You know, and, but I was just blown away. You know, by, by that whole, you know. So anyhow, it's uh, over the years. Just uh, you know, just. Uh, I listened to those guys, and then of course I, I was listening to the rockers too, like you know Richie Blackmore and Jeff Beck and Joe Walsh, James Gang. I was totally into all that kind of uh-huh. stuff because I'm a sucker for a good song on the radio too. Right. right? And I like songwriting. I'm a songwriter too. Oh, okay. So. Is that kind of what brought you to Nashville? That's, that's really why I moved here. Mm-hmm. I, I moved here to to be a songwriter, and so uh, the, the first seven years I was here, I wrote every day. You know, writing songs with lyrics, and mm-hmm. I wrote for a small pub- publishing company for uh, about three years. And, and that's when? What what years? Oh, uh, that was probably that was like in the nineties. Mm-hmm. You know, like in the early uh, kind of mid nineties. Before it really kind of became what it is. T- yeah, right. Today, yeah, so. I mean, well, the thing is, is that it's like when I got here, uh, you know, you could, you know. You, you could actually, there, there were, I mean, there were tons of publishing companies signing writers, you know, and there's, it's, it's really changed over the years now. It's like, there's, I mean, I know people that are writing songs that I do demos for, and they're kind of in these, you know, there's more gatekeepers, you know? Yeah. You know, that, uh, so these people that will help you polish your songs and then, you know, you have to kind of go through them. I mean, I'm not even trying to do that. I mean, I'm just playing my guitar and. You know, I've been for the past fourteen years. I've been touring with with Miles. Right. You know? So you're not working, and you're just helping, like more like helping songwriters do yeah, demos. Yeah. And well, stuff. right now, yeah, and we're really not we're not touring that much right now because mostly I'm just doing. I have in my studio, so mm-hmm. I, I produce a lot of stuff there, and I'm and I'm producing a lot of my own material, just you know, like instrumental, like smooth jazz, and then like solo guitar pieces, and some of them I do myself, and some of them I I, I record with other people too. Like we'll do. A, a duo, you know, we'll just, you know, write some, you know, melody that's not, you know, nothing too complicated, you know, but there's, a, there's a, the whole Spotify world is kind of opened up to where you can, you can actually make money on it if you, uh, you know, if you get enough spins, you got to get a lot of spins. Wow, you're the first person I've ever heard say that, too. Yeah. Wow, that's a first for me, you hey. know. I hear about like two million spins getting you like Fifteen hundred dollars or something. Yeah, well, which, it's, yeah, which is not bad, but two million spins, man. You know, yeah. well, it's a lot of work to get that. Well, the trick is to get on is to get on some big playlists. You know, and uh-huh. if you can get on a Spotify playlist, that's even better because they have like millions of uh, you know followers. You know, so people that are listening to these playlists all the time. You know, so 
but um, I'm into all kinds of you know different music. You know, I mean, I like all kinds of. I mean, I like classical. Mm-hmm. I like you know Western swing, jazz. Well, it was. You know, it was. I got to admit, you know. I mean, I went to the show last night, and this is, of course, my first cast. Right, yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm walking around. I'm basically hearing, you know, Chet style playing right. all the time uh, here. It's right. just like you, you. I went out the room, and in the hallway, they were doing it. You know, yeah, I mean, right. it was. It's just everywhere. Right. Yeah. And uh, and when I when I saw the show, and you and Miles got up and played, and yeah. I hear like, Steely you Day. know, I hear some boss. <laughs> I hear some samba, some choro. I hear, you know, Chick Korea. I hear right, Birdland. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, whoa, maybe, you know, it it sort of shocked me. Not not, not how great you were, but but that it was here and and it was like nobody, you know, booed you off the stage for doing it. Yeah, well, it's it's, it's the finger style thing. And, Uh you know, Chet Atkins was, I mean, you know, he's he's, of course, one of the big guys I listened to as well, you know. And, uh, I mean, I was, you know, admittedly introduced earlier to Joe Pass and Pat Martino and Chet Atkins came later but the thing is is that uh, I mean really anybody that's playing fingerstyle has Chet Atkins has somehow affected that you know? oh He's totally influenced them you know oh, totally I mean and, you know I mean if you just play the guitar I mean I'm a real not a I mean yeah. I do some of that right, yeah. uh, without a thumb pick and um, I mean I, I can't help it I'm a you know, oh, yeah. I, I I'll play stuff and I go, well, I know where that came from. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. And so, so the thing is, is that like I, I think it was in the, like around '98. My wife is my wife's like, you need to record a Christmas record. I'm like, why? You know, it's like, yeah. I mean, this last thing I want to do is a Christmas record. So, so just she said, just do solo guitar. You know, no one else. You know, so so what I did is I started arranging these. Uh, I I'd arrange one song, and then I go record it. You know, I had to learn how to play it. You know. And so, uh, of course, the, the tunes I picked to, to play, like I've, I took, I tried to do as many public domain pieces as I could, but, uh, you know, I, I, like I did, I ended up doing, uh, yeah, Winter Wonderland and, uh, and uh, Little Drummer Boy. Little Drummer Boy is not public domain. It was written in 1959, so the copyright is still oh. in effect, you know. But, um, but what, what, the one thing that was interesting is um, I, uh, I was thinking about, Chet Atkins, you know, when I was, because I'm, this is going to be a fingerstyle record, right? right. You know, I'm not, and I'm using a thumb pick. I wasn't, I didn't use a flat pick on it mm-hmm. at all, and you know, play with my fingers, and so I was doing a lot of. I did several six eight pieces, you know. So how do you do the alternate thumb pick? With right. six, I never thought was. Well, I never thought well, you can't do that. Right. Because usually when you hear Chet, it's boom 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 boom. Right. You know, right. It's one five or one one three. one five one yeah. five one right, you know, right. like that. So I'm going, boom, 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 you know, and I'm just like, I'm landing, I'm just making sure that I'm landing on the bass note when I switch chords, you know, but it worked great. So I did, you know, We Three Kings like that, and and so, anyhow, so I, and then after that, I did a, I did a all hymns record because the distributor that distributed my Christmas record asked if I'd do a hymns record, so I did the same thing. I did all these, I picked all these old. You know, like Ave Maria. That's mm-hmm. in six eight. Did kind of did the same thing with that, and uh, so anyway, that's that's kind of how it all got started for me with doing like playing fingerstyle and using a thumb pick pretty exclusively. You know, now I don't when I'm doing studio work, I use flat picks. I you know I have a little pouch of picks that I 
Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of depends on what I'm doing. Some are thicker, some you know, are made out of different material, and they mm-hmm. just they sound different. You know, mm-hmm. some sound brighter. You know, right. so that kind of thing. Right. But, oh, well, I'm staring at your yeah this contraption. Is, yeah. So this is. Um, Okay, so well, I'm looking to, for people who are not seeing, of right. course. I'm, I'm so good at radio yeah, here. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at a thumb pick. I'll describe what I see first. It's a, it's a, it's a thumb pick. Kind of, I mean, it's a flat pick, just like I usually use, although this is a blue chip. Yeah, and, it's a um, blue chip pick, yeah. And it's got a metal that seems to piece of metal, like sheet metal, that's riveted to it, and it's bent around like a thumb pick house. It's actually not riveted. Oh, what is that? Okay, so those two little okay, dots. Okay, so he. Okay, so the blue chip makes the pick, and oh. they also make the band. Oh, there's it's a so band. This, so, yeah, so can... this so this band you see it says blue chip right. Oh, I, so, of course I can't okay, read so, that. So when I so uh, I, I met these guys at uh, Winfield at, uh-huh. the, at the music festival. Right, that's where they have the finger style. Right, right, the finger picking. So so anyhow, um, I, I the thumb pick that they have is really geared more for uh, like. Uh, dobro players, or uh-huh. you know that kind of, and it's got and it's got kind of a hook on it. Yeah, and I was trying to trying to flat pick with it, and it just kept getting caught on the strings. So um, what I did is I, I I grabbed one of his flat picks, one of the big triangular ones, yeah. and just stuck it in there uh-huh. and tried to play. And I'm like, you know, is there any way that I can just get the band and the pick separately? So he just took his knife out and carved off the the rivets. So they, so there were rivets. Those that's yeah, what those so, holes are. Well, that's you, how that's how he makes them. So okay, and so you what, you like, epoxied it or something. So no. So what I did is I went to Home Depot. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in yeah, Home great Depot. music store. Yeah, it yeah. is. I went to Home Depot and I got some uh, exterior two sided tape. It'll okay. hold up a mailbox. Uh-huh. So I just cut a little piece of that and put that uh, on there and just squeeze it on there. So when the when the pick is on, you know it's snug. Yeah. But I can move it. I can I can reposition it if I need to. So, but when you do it, it positions the band. No, no, repos- no. It, it just moves, it, moves it moves inside it, it just there. Moves the pick because it's not riveted. It's just two sided tape. Oh, I see. And it and eventually it it. And eventually, this the, the tape. Like after about six months, uh-huh. I'll just I'll pull this off. And need to do it. Use put piece. a new piece of tape. That's mm-hmm. it. You know. Wow. Uh, when, when I when I showed uh, when I showed him this, uh, he's like uh, Matt. He's like. He was, he was laughing about it because yeah. he wanted me to mark it with a, a sharpie and send it back to him, and then he would uh, rivet, rivet it. it. Right. Well, the thing is that what but I, you want it to move. Well, what I've discovered is that some tunes that I play, I, I want to pick m- more straight on. Uh-huh. But if I'm going to do a lot of flat picking, I'll push the pick out this way a little bit. Uh-huh. So then, when I turn my hand to flat pick, you know, right? Because uh, you know, when you're trying to flat pick with a thumb pick, it's 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 pretty stiff, you know. Yeah, if, I mean, I've tried it before. So what I do is I turn my thumb like that, uh-huh. and then, you know, I just barely touch it, and so I have this kind of action going. Right. Know? And, it, you know, I mean, it works for me. I mean, you know, it's like I've been doing this for years. Actually, I'm gonna, do you mind if I take a picture of it? No, and we'll okay. put it on our website. Yeah. God, I can't believe all this uh, amazing... Yeah. Um, let me make sure I'm still, rec- I'm still recording. God, I can't believe technology. One of these days, you I know. I can take a picture and email it to you. Yeah, I, I can do this. Watch this. Whoa. Boom. Actually, let me see. There we go. 
We don't want to give away too many trade secrets. We just want to show everybody. <laughs> That's okay. It's not really a secret. Uh, it it is. It was. I did. A, I did a. I did a video for a guy when I was. Uh, I was teaching at Steve Kaufman camp, and uh, <laughs> this guy, you know, I, I said, well, just go over there to Blue Chip and have them sell you just the band and the, and the and the pick, you know. So they he went over there and they said you've been talking to Tim Thompson, haven't you? Uh, <laughs> so yeah. Anyhow. But yeah, so that's that's what I've been using, and I've tried other picks. Uh, Fred Kelly picks are great too. You know, stunt picks. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know about the Greg Atkins drum and company? Oh yeah, no, I know Greg. Well. He's a good friend of yeah. mine. I mean, I know, Greg and I used well. to use those shark tooths for a long time, yeah. just as you know, my picks. And yeah. Eventually, and ended up moving on to something else. But. Yeah, no, that's uh, I, I've used those as well. Actually, yeah. I just uh, did some videos for Greg. Yeah, he's, he's a great guy. Yeah, he is great guy. So. Yeah, so. Um, you're not working as much on the road with Miles anymore? I mean, that was well, we, what a great... I mean, it's great. It must be, first of all, great to work with your kid. Oh, yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. And uh, But none of that was planned. You know, uh-huh. it was, uh, just, he was just hanging out with you? Yeah, and you just, yeah, you know, like, we told him when he was five that he had, to, he had to play an instrument for one year. And if he didn't like it after that, he could quit. Mm-hmm. So he, he he chose the violin and he did we did the Suzuki thing and I think he played with five six and seven and then he just totally quit and we thought that he was done but then when he was around eleven he started bugging me to get a, another violin so I said we'll go mow some lawns and I'll play pay half you know so yeah. I think he saved up like four hundred bucks and of course the first violin was eighteen hundred you know so that yeah. was a little more than half but yeah yeah so. Uh, but yeah, so we, uh, you know, he turned me into a grandpa, you know. And you mentioned that on the show months, last yeah. night, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so we really haven't been, uh, we haven't been touring that much, but we still uh, are planning on, we have to do it more surgically, you know, we have to, more surgical strikes where we, you know, we can't go for a couple weeks at a time, or what we used to do, you know. And that was just sort of like the old, the road method, you get in the car and you just <laughs> play everything from clubs, concerts, house concerts. Con- uh, well, c- well, kind of. I mean, on yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. Did you ever play on the street? Yeah, we have, we've done that too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, actually, we did that in England. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I mean, hey, yeah. my band Cowbop did it all the way down Route yeah. sixty six, yeah. man. So you know. No, so we uh, we didn't. Uh, everything is usually planned out, mm-hmm. and then on occasion you get like you know, but everything is planned out way in advance. You know, close to a year in advance, Whoa. even the small gigs. You know. Wow. So it's not like we just leave and hope for the best. You know, we yeah. knew we were, you know, we knew about what we could make. You uh-huh. know, of course, you know, like when you when you book a venue, you kind of have to, you know, you some of them, you know, you're you're playing for the door or like a door yeah. split or something like that. So it really depends on how many people there. So you, you have to kind of figure. Well, hopefully, we'll get at least sixty people. You know. Right. And so we did a lot of small venues, but we would book a uh, like an anchor gig and then just book stuff around that, uh-huh. you know. Like you know, we like if we like we were on the West Coast probably four times a year, going up and down, you know, played all over California and Oregon mm-hmm. and uh, in Washington, you know, mostly in the Seattle. Yeah, built-up territory, basically. Yeah, so, right. I mean, because people got to get to know you, you know. I yeah, mean, yeah. Even though social m- media, it, it's like right. you need those friends right. and. and 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 I don't need to tell you that a lot of times the venues don't give you much help. You know, it's no. like you're on your own. We want to split the door yeah. with you, but we're not going to do any of the work. Yeah, that's that's a real, real frustrating thing for me, and not as much for me because I'm kind of 
old and well known at this point (laughs) in my own world but I'm frustrated for the kids you know that I teach and I see such great talent and I just don't know how they're going to build community if if the people that are at ground zero who actually have a dog in the fight to make some money don't help they just see it totally as the express responsibility of the artist and uh, I wish that would change I've got some ideas about how I'd like to maybe recreate that model for everybody there are some there are some out there you know some venues out there that are that really do care Mm -hmm. you know and uh, you know of course those are the first ones we call yeah of course uh, yeah sure so yeah but um, yeah so really what we're doing now is uh, we're, we're playing around town and as, as a result of playing here I mean, we just had to you know we've had to build up our repertoire of, of, of cover tunes and and uh, so it's actually been good for our playing you know because mm-hmm. you know we're covering a lot of, a lot of new ground you know mm-hmm. musically you know mm-hmm. so and it's fun you know yeah. and so when we do go out on the road we take some of that stuff with us too and, you know Sure. Yeah. So, for a a, a first timer at Cass, what's yeah. your what's your advice? Oh. What, what would what would be your? Of course, you probably I should have asked that before I came. But yeah. now that I'm here, and it's, <laughs> it, yeah, you know, especially yeah. maybe you know, like what what what's your advice? Oh well, I don't. You know, I would just <laughs> hang out and uh, just you know, there's a lot. I mean, there's tons of jamming going on and. You know, like I'm, I'm kind of a social butterfly. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm like I told you last night. Sometimes I'm the last one to leave. You know, and it's well, like, we we did close the bar last. Yeah, night. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Sometimes I'm out of here at like three a.m. when the bar closes. I mean, I'm down the hall and, yeah. uh, you know. So, but I, I don't really have any advice except just to I don't know, just hang out and yeah. and take your guitar with like you. Don't stay away from a certain person or something. Oh no, it's I don't nah. Yeah. Uh, let me think. Let me think now. Man, I I can't think of any. Should I any, should I like get a flat thumb pick and at least wear it around my neck or something? You know, <laughs> I, I really you know it's it, it, this is actually a pretty diverse crowd. I mean, it is it isn't just all just uh you know just all about the thumb pick. I mean, there's a you know there's people here who use flat picks too. You know, so well, but it, it, you know it's a joke. You're probably gonna get thrown under the bus a little bit, only in a in a fun way. Yeah, you know? I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> You know, so. I need stories, man. You know, yeah, yeah it's like that's great. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but I mean, I use a flat pick. I mean, I, I sometimes sometimes I play with a flat pick. It, it, it kind of depends on what I'm doing. You know, right, so. and and this whole development of just like the way you guys did it. I mean, it, do you feel like it was just kind of an organic development of how you're like you're playing and your career and, and what you focus on, or it was like a path of least resistance, or was it like a, a moment in time where it's like this is the way I want to do things no uh, uh, that's um that's really not me it's all been kind of uh it, you know like i mean i, I mean i'm methodical uh-huh. about what i do and i'm pragmatic you know so you know like i'll get on something i was like well, i really want to learn how to do this or you know like this certain kind of music i mean like what, what like even the first like when i did this christmas record you know it's like once i committed to it I mean, I was not going to stop until I finished. Right. You know, I, I didn't allow myself to, to get bored or like, ah, you know. I mean, after I got done with it, I, you know, my wife and I sat and we just listened to the whole record from top to bottom. And I just turned to her and I said, man, this is so boring, you know. Of course, you know, I've been so close to the Right, teams. you've been mixing and listening yeah. and arranging and playing and yeah. But I've sold tons of them. You know, people, 
people like I get calls from people at Christmas time and say, "Hey man, we're listening to your record," you know. So it, it, you know, that's great. Cool. But yeah, so I, nothing was really uh, nothing was really planned. I mean, I just I've been a full time musician my whole life, and it's uh, you know I just have you know music. I mean, everything is kind of revolved around like, well, how can I do this? And of course, I always gravitate toward more complex music, right? You know, so but you play you got to play other stuff to make money while you're learning how to do that right uh-huh. you know so so that's kind of that's kind of just been my you know my yeah. way of thinking well i mean it seems to me that uh and of course this place is very much that way but even the real, the world outside of this it seems way to be going in the more direction of solo artists maybe right. a duo right. yeah, i mean obviously the, the 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 realities of touring and logistics you know i mean in the old days a hotel shit when i was first touring a hotel was you know 35 dollars a week right yeah and we were still kind of making the same money we're making now right yeah uh and and you know airfares and and just people scrambling having to make a living you know you right. get four or five people to commit to a a project yeah off in the distance without any real right. certain recompense for it uh but you know i mean that whole thing you know i mean it seems like the world is going yeah. In that way, you know, just the economics of it. Right, you know? yeah. Well, like a lot of the festivals that we've played at, you yeah. know, there's more and more, you know, solo and duos, you know. Like uh-huh. there's, seems like there's fewer bands. But, you know, like, you know, with Miles and me, you know, of course we're family, so it's like we're in, in the car, yeah. you know. If you're going to be spending that much time with somebody, it better be somebody that you get along with, you know. Yeah, for sure. And, uh but uh, you know, we but we've mentioned it many times. You know, you know, it's just way easier like to do with a small, you know, group of people, with, uh-huh. like two people, or, right. or yourself. I mean, and you know, playing solo guitar, you know, there's. I mean, it's you know because you're you're, you're the band, right? You're playing the bass notes right, right. and the melody, and so it's like that's the whole point of of that. You know, like. Like you, you, you want to do that solo because, you, you know, that's... Yeah, you've got control of everything. The, yeah, well, and it's... I get, and that's the point of what you're doing. It's like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and figure out how to play Birdland just on six yeah. strings, you know? Right. And it's a five-piece band that you're right. extracting all this, you know? Right. So it's a challenge to try and, you know, figure out, like, what parts, you know, how you can be more convincing about your arrangement. So you really have to kind of pick and choose what you oh yeah for sure for sure and i mean i noticed like for instance you know you play with miles who's playing either a mandolin he actually last night mandolin most of the time and some fiddle um obviously the uh amount of rhythm accompaniment you get during your solos is far different than the the density of accompaniment he gets in his solos right and yet um it was really interesting to see the way that that you know the balance of that worked throughout yeah. the show and um and i imagine that informed how you approached your solos i mean right i mean yeah. you, you didn't think about it maybe like consciously at first you just did it but right. then i mean it did obviously come into your mind like well this is kind of how well, i want to set shit up this is how i want to write right i mean right. it seemed that to me right yeah know? well okay so yeah and that's that's actually a really good point because that's something that that we were forced to think about because it's like you know for when we when he first started playing with me like i was doing all solo you know guitar stuff you know then he'd get up for one or two songs uh-huh. and i used to use a looper 
you know. Uh. So I'd record the changes, me playing rhythm, you know. Uh. But, you know, it was like, to me, it was like, this is just too synthetic, you know. Yeah, it's like, right. it's like I, I want, you know, we want something real. So I said, you really need to learn how to play rhythm with that thing. So uh. And he was just playing violin at the uh. time. So um, I, was, I was teaching this rhythm class, you know. Uh, how to play, you know, rhythm guitars, how to think like a drummer, you know, it's like you want to emulate the kick, the snare, and the hi-hat, and you're playing, right, when you're playing rhythm. Mm -hmm. And so I was I was telling Miles, like, when he was, when we were first trying to, first of all, pick the first, he can only play two notes at a time on the violin. Right. So I said, you got to pick the two most important notes of the chord that you're playing, and then uh, and figure out how you're going to you play rhythm with your, you know, chopping with his bow. Right. So... I made him, and when I teach this class, I make the people, like, I'll point to people in the room, so, okay, I want you to sing this groove. So I make them do stuff like, right. I say, okay, now, now play that, you know, play, just play a, a G chord using that rhythm, right? And so they, they would, they would play what they thought without singing it right and, right. It's, and it's, of course it doesn't sound like it it's just no right. you need to internalize it sing right. it yeah. so when when Miles started learning how to play rhythm that was our approach uh -huh. and you know he didn't want to sing it at first but as soon the first time that he was able to actually just as soon as he was able to sing it he was able to play it almost right. instantly you know and so so as we we started so he got better at playing the chords and so then we then we're faced with this. Okay, I'm playing rhythm and this nice big full sound, and then he starts chopping and I'm going to play a solo, and all of a sudden the bottom drops out. Right. So it's like, at first, I was in a hurry to fill the gap, you know. Yeah. So I'd start, you know, you overcompensate, mm -hmm. and then I'm not playing as well mm -hmm. because I'm like I'm I'm still I'm still trying You're to. You're trying to still be the rhythm guy and yeah. take a solo. And I did, I quit doing that. Mm -hmm. I just decided okay, I'm just going to let him. So sometimes I'll just stop. And not really play much, and just let him establish, right? You know the rhythm, so that it's not turns into a cluster. You know, so mm -hmm. I don't know. Am I am I making any sense? No, totally. I mean, that's the question I had. You know, I mean, as both performers and you know as players, even jazz musicians, as improviser, I I think the arranging aspect, the strategy, right? When you go to play something, you know, how are you going to play this solo? How are you going to play this rhythm? How are you going to make this song progress through the story and end? You know, I mean, there's right. a strategy there. Naturally, you have lots of options along the way to use, but you know, I mean, you 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 whether you like it or not, you play different with this kind of accompaniment oh, versus yeah. this kind Absolutely, of accompaniment, yeah. and this kind of room versus that right. kind of room. It just all these things sort of talk to you and it's not just our responsibility to have a certain vocabulary that we play it's our responsibility to kind of as jazz musicians or right. whatever live you know performing musicians to kind of strategize right. the best way to work in this moment yeah. you know it'd be it'd be wonderful if we had our bedroom studio and we always had that sound and we always had exactly what we want right. but we know we don't get that right you know i mean the pickup goes weird you know whatever you know we got right. all these things that we're always dealing right. with and ultimately it has to serve the story right we're telling and and we and we ultimately should strategize in my feeling for a victory right yeah even if like okay we got three broken strings well then you know i'm gonna i'm gonna play on the others right exactly and um 
Well, and make the most out of it. And, you know, and, and to me, that was what I really enjoyed about the way you guys were working together was like, I really sense like, I know this guy can play a lot of different ways, but, you know, like he really, they, got, they were making what they were doing really work and never boring. It was always, you know, going new places. And I mean, I really, I just want to tell you, I really oh, appreciate yeah, well, that. Well, that. Well, the one thing that there's, you know, like we did over the years, we kind of developed a little a formula and part of the formula is that, okay, when we're playing, when we're doing these tunes, it needs to be seamless between our solos. Like, if I start a solo, it needs to be seamless. The groove has to has to keep, has to be the exact same groove. You know, there can't be like, because, you know, you know, you played with another guitar player or another yeah. rhythm player. As soon as, yeah. As soon, and you're playing a certain rhythm, and then as soon as it goes to them, it's like, all of a sudden, the rhythm has changed Slightly, even you know, you know what I mean, and it, and, and it can throw you off. So with us, it's like, you know, we, I'm like, and I've stopped in the middle of a song and said, no, this is the groove. It's, yeah. you know, I'm saying it, you know, it's like, and then he gets pissed and it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but um, but the other thing is is, um, you know, being seamless, and the and the other thing is uh, like a lot of the lines that we play. You know, we play them in unison as opposed to playing harmonies, you know, because, you know, the unison just seems to have more power to it, you know. Like when you're both playing the exact same line. Oh, for sure. On yeah. occasion, like in Tico Tico. Yeah, you, know, you, like you had a couple of harmonies, but yeah. it was mostly... And I, and I agree with that. I mean, yeah. you know, sometimes harmony in a small group without accompaniment... It makes lose, it... It, lose, it actually loses power. It, yeah, it, it makes it... It's kind of like, you know, like when you're, if you, when you overproduce something, like I've produced a lot of music, I've, I've produced like a lot of projects, like for independent, you know, so artists and that, you know, and it's like everything you add to the mix on a, you know, everything else gets smaller. So the fewer things you have in there, you know, they're all going to count, you know. And so, so we kind of, I mean, that's kind of our approach just with what we're doing too. Well, yeah, know, I so. mean, yeah, totally agree with that, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly, that's. Yeah, and it's you know, and especially it's the harmony demands really important balance, you know, because right. the melody needs to be the stronger voice, exactly. and and you you can lose that depending upon how you do it or just how it's performed from day to day, and which is another thing I really loved with you guys is you know there's nothing like family harmony singing, yeah. There's just something about brothers and sisters or mothers and fathers or right. my mother, you know, you know, yeah. daughters and fathers, sons and fathers. It's just there's a beauty to that to me. I mean, and, yeah, and you guys, your vocals were really, really great. That how you guys blended, you know, and that's kind of a DNA thing. Oh uh, yeah, well thanks. It's a, uh, it's it, we have similar textures to our voice, you know. So yeah, he learned to sing listening to you yeah, too. Right. So there's also these stylistic right, inflections yeah. that you guys really know, and you, yeah. you you can tell when you're going to take a breath, and right, it's really yeah. beautiful. It was. Really, really, I mean, really just a great show. I well, want to thanks. thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, well. And thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, everybody, where would they find you if they wanted to dig uh, deeper? Well, uh, there's, uh, we've got uh, timandmiles.com. And Miles? Miles is spelled with a Y. Okay. M-Y-L-E-S. So Tim and, and the word and, timandmiles.com. And then there, there are... Or I think our official website. Miles has been handling most of the, of that. I mean, I used to do more of it, but it's, I think it's Miles Tim and Miles Nashville dot com. Okay. okay, that's a better looking website. Yeah, All right, Miles. Okay, so, great. Yeah. And uh, 
look forward to continued success. Hope yeah, I get to play thanks. with you sometime. Yeah, yeah well, we need to do that. So. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Oh.